Welcome to the Storytellers Live podcast, where everyday people share real and personal stories. Some are profound and challenging, while others are more common and relatable, shared with honesty and humor. But all of these stories reveal what God can do in our lives when we trust Him with the details. Thanks for joining us. everyone, this is your host Kelly from the Storytellers Live team. On each episode, you'll hear a different woman share her story of God's transforming love. These stories are recorded in a live setting at weekly local gatherings where we're aiming to build community through sharing, connecting, and encouraging one another. Most importantly, these stories reveal the faithfulness of God and how He can take what's ordinary and broken and exchange it for extraordinary and redeemed. Today's story was shared at our Vestavia, Alabama gathering by Suzanne, who also happens to be our first podcast sponsor. You'll hear more about her jewelry line, Holland & Birch, later in the episode. Suzanne's recovery from alcohol addiction began with a realization that her drinking was more than a daily habit or a way to unwind. It had become her method of coping with the pressures of marriage, motherhood, career, and life in general, because let's face it, life is hard. Suzanne points out that addiction is such a big word that usually makes us think of drugs or alcohol, but it can actually refer to anything that we consistently turn to for consolation or hope or numbing or self-worth until suddenly we no longer feel like we have control or can function on our own. She also notes that addiction does not discriminate. Even a suburban mom with a happy childhood, a great family, and an upbringing rooted in faith can be susceptible to the power of addiction. The beauty of our Savior Jesus is that His goodness and love are present even when we're in the midst of dark sin and struggle. We are never so deep in that pit that God can't reach down and pull us out. And Suzanne's story is a testimony of that. Here she is with her story of recovery and redemption. My name's Suzanne, and I um, own a jewelry line, Holland & Birch. I recognize some of y'all from coming in my shop. Um, But anyways, I'm here to share just all the Lord has done in my life and kind of how he led me into jewelry. Um, My mom is here, and I want to honor her because she put up with me through a lot of hard years. Um, I feel like if you have hard children, train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. Um, I feel like that's what she did. She prayed for me. She was my advocate. And um, we are like oil and water growing up. God has redeemed and restored that pretty much (laughs) for the most part. Um, But if it tells you anything, she's speaking somewhere, and um, she talked to her best friend for an hour and a half about her notes. And I spoke on Tuesday night, and I didn't even have notes. So if that tells you anything about the personalities, they're drastically different. Um, Anyway, so I grew up... um, My sister started praying for a baby sister when she was two, and um, my parents struggled with infertility, and um, they were like, well, I don't know if we can have another baby. And anyways, I was born, they named me Suzanne, and um, my mom bought the Strong-Willed Child book. Uh, My dad bought the Strong-Willed Child book when I was nine months old, and um, I kind of was like the Pippi Longstocking born into a family of like C.S. Lewis, so if that 
tells you anything. Um, just very um, put together, type A type of people, I felt like. Um, but they were precious, and I had a great childhood. Um, I was very hyperactive, and I had ADHD, but they did not know it until I was 16. So um, that was kind of a relief when I got a diagnosis with that. Um, my first memory of, I think, my personality um, and kind of, um, I felt so different than my family. I kind of felt like I had been adopted maybe because they were all, they just could obey and do the right thing. And I was like, I, I feel like I cannot. Um, so um, anyways, where was I? ADD. Okay. My first, my first memory was um, when I was little, I jumped in a mud puddle and I had on a smock dress, Mary Jane's, and my sister was like my other mother and she was like, do not jump in that mud puddle. And I did it and she was like, mom, she did it on purpose. And I was like, I just did it for fun. And that was kind of like the basis of my life. Like, why are you people freaking out? I'm just trying to have fun. Um, but anyways, I would grow up. My mom homeschooled me first through fifth grade because the teacher's like, I cannot teach Suzanne unless I have my hand on her. Um, school was not my thing. I did not love it. Um, I went to Briarwood, graduated. And um, when I was 16, I was very rebellious. Um, when, when I was 16, I had my first drink um, of alcohol. It was a wine cooler. It was a summer night. Um, I was with my friends. And I remember thinking, I can never, ever do drugs because this feels amazing. Um, instead of thinking, I probably should never drink again. Um, so anyways, that would be my first taste of alcohol. My dad grew up. Um, his father left him when he was seven, um, and he was an alcoholic. So I kind of knew there was alcoholism in my family, but, um, and my parents didn't drink, but that's really kind of all I knew. But I knew I probably shouldn't, um, ever touch drugs. So time went on, graduated, um, went to college, met my husband. Um, we ended up getting married when I was um, 24. We had a very rocky relationship, um, and um, we God both worked in our lives. I got involved in Briarwood Singles. He got really involved in Young Life, and God um, really did change us in a lot of ways, but we never, both of us never dealt with, like, our addiction issues and what um, the root of my drinking was from and his was sexual addiction. So um, we kind of started off um, on that. And I think when you're young, you think, oh, well, I'll just turn the ship around when I get older, you know, and married and things will be fine. Well, the ship turned around, but it took a long, long time. And um, anyways, I, so we got married. Um, we had two children and, um, uh, we were 24, 26, and 29. And um, 26 when I had my first child, 29 when I had my second. They were like 18 months apart. And it really, that I feel like was when I really um, kind of crossed the line into alcoholism, probably when they were about two and three, um, when I was around 30. Um, I was aware that things were not okay in recovery. They call it the three A's, awareness, acceptance, and action. And I mean, I think it took me 10 years to move through all those. Um, when I was 22, 
I wrecked my car and I had been drinking. Um, and that was a big kind of wake up call and awareness, I would say. Um, I went to um, a Wednesday night church service and, I, you know, my mom read the Bible like three times a day to me. I think she was like, we're just going to get you on the right path. Um, so I'd always heard God's word. And um, anyways, the pastor spoke about Psalm 40 and that's what's on the little scripture card today. Um, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me. He heard my cry. He lifted me out of a pit. And um, I thought, that's what I need. And I was 22 and I really couldn't put my finger on. I mean, at that point I was not, I would say in addiction, but I was definitely abusing alcohol. Um, we bought our first house in Vestavia. We then bought a house in Southside. We were very involved in our church. We were leading a small group. Um, you know, from the outside, I think I was functioning better than I ever had. I was in real estate. Things were going well. My kids were dressed in smocked clothes. Um, and we moved to this, we call it the old lady. It was a huge Victorian mansion. And I was like, well, this is the perfect place for some parties and entertaining. And in my mind, just kind of the um, the socialite, I guess, um, just a, a glamorous kind of lifestyle that it, it did not end up being, um, just entertaining and lots of parties and, and fun, um, is kind of what I envisioned my life being, um, and dabbling in church for sure. But, you know, definitely having that fun. Um, you sat on our top porch and you could see downtown. I mean, I was like, this is a perfect place for all the people to come. Um, so anyways, we were at a church. I was very, very grace filled and it was exactly where I needed to be. I grew up, um, going to a Christian school, and I think um, the culture I grew up in was a very black and white culture, like this is good and this is bad. Um, and I could never seem to do good is kind of how it felt. And so I really owned the black sheep role um, as a as a child. I think that that's kind of – I watched my sister excel, 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 and it just seemed never enough. And I thought, well, I can't even touch that. So I just kind of went the opposite way. And um, I feel like from a young age, just put that label on myself. Like, I'll just go this way because I, I'll just get in trouble. And that's what my expectation was. Um, so anyways, fast forward again. Um, we've had babies. And um, I really, and the, and the Lord spoke that verse to me. And I kind of hung on to it. And we were in church and we were... Um, we were, you know, I would, I was telling people, hey, I think I might be drinking a little too much. And people were like, oh, you're fine. And, um, but I was never really completely honest about how much I was drinking um, or how, what a hold I felt like it had on me, just that bondage. And I think the Lord like convicted me. And so um, I didn't know, I started to realize I don't know how to live drinking and I don't know how to live not drinking. And so, Drinking became pretty miserable at some point for me. Um, but I didn't know how to deal with my emotions or anything without it um, because, I, you know, they say when you start, when you're 16, you're kind of frozen in that age dealing emotionally and all that. So I was 29 acting like a 16-year-old. Um, so anyways, the Lord really, I feel like it was a gift that he convicted me and that I began to hate it, but it did not really change me drinking. Um, 
my best friend stepped on my porch. Um, she had a baby on her hip, and we had little ones, and she said, Suzanne, I think I have a drinking problem. And I said, oh, praise God, me too. And um, it would begin a series of um, lots of conversations, us trying not to drink. We said, well, let's lead a Bible study because then we won't drink, and we did. And <laughs> after a year and a half, we decided we cannot drink together because that's insanity, like talking about not drinking and drinking together. So um, she really was my lifesaver in the fact I had someone else who was saying, me too. And I think other people can hear it and say, yeah, that's, you know, I can't relate. But, but when someone else is in it with you and like, this is dark. You know, um, we did Beth Moore in my little study. <laughs> we played the videotapes and would w watch Beth Moore breaking free. Like, you know, certainly she'll have something to tell us that will um, help us get sober. And I did not drink every day. I did not drink in the morning. Um, I did hide um, how much I drank. I would, behind the silk curtains, <laughs> line up like wine bottles. And um, anyways, I knew I was sick. And not well. Um, so I started talking to people and being more open about how much I was drinking. Um, I think a pivotal moment for me was Lyle Dorset. He was a professor at Wheaton, where my sister went to college. Um, Billy Graham graduated from there. Anyways, an amazing man. And um, he was a recovering alcoholic. And I'd known him since I was a child. So I kind of began a conversation with him. And I think he was smart enough to know, like, you just want to talk about it. You know, there was no action involved. I think I had, I was moving into accepting. There was nothing I could do about, like, drinking. Like, so he finally was like, you know, I, he told me stories upon stories of people's bottoms and how horrible they were. And he was like, I don't know what you have to do, but I hope you can figure it out. And basically, I knew he was done talking to me about it, which was like kind of a bottom for me because I'm like, well, if Lyle Dorset's not going to talk to me about it anymore, you know, what am I going to do? So my best friend who had stepped on my porch um, three years before that, well, Three years before we got sober, we went to an AA meeting together, and I said I went to a I went to a psychiatrist. I think because I was like, I'm ADD. I just need medicine, and that will help. Well, that didn't help, and I told him I think I'm drinking a little too much, and so he was like, Well, really good an AA meeting. I mean, that's the best place for you to land. And I was like, Well, that I just can't do that. Um, is there medicine you can give me something? And um, so, anyways. I told my friends, so we went to an AA meeting, and we were um, sitting there in Mountain Brook, and she looks at me, and she said, we're at an NA meeting, Narcotics Anonymous. These people are talking about snorting things, Suzanne. <laughs> and so she's like, let's go get coffee. So a guy came up and was like, is there a problem? She's like, we're stay-at-home moms that, like, drink a little too much, and we're in the wrong place. And he was like, oh, it's all the same. And now I could totally go and be like, it's all the same, because addiction is addiction, and idols are idols. Um, but at the time, we were like, Good grief. And spiritual warfare. You know, I'm like, how did we end up in an NA meeting? So we drive and go to Vestavia and find the AA meeting, but it's the end. And we're like, well, that was fun. Listening to Amy Grant on the way and um, pleading that God will help us get sober. I mean, I was like, I'm so thankful I have you or I would feel mentally ill. So anyways, time goes by. That was three years before we got sober. Her dad was dying and... Um, 
he had mental illness and he would call her and talk her head off. So she was like, I would, I just filled up, you know, when he would call and just would drink to just zone out and she was like I knew that if I did not get help that I would die like I was this is not going well so she went to and back to AA and um she stopped drinking for two weeks and I'm like how did you what's going on like we've been battling this for three years really together with God's word with prayer with everything you're kind of taught to do um and breaking free and bible studies um and she was like you know These people, she goes, I can't explain it, but these people are happy, joyous, and free. They used not to be, and um, they have tools that we do not have, and I can't explain how it works, but I'm going to keep going. So I think I've just watched her, and God freed, started freeing her from the, and she went every single day, and I was like, okay, well, I guess I'll give it a try. So (laughs) my first AA meeting, I mean, a real meeting we went and it was this little church in Homewood and there was eight men and they were all 50 and up one was on oxygen like that you know the rhythm of it talking about their drinking and um it was amazing to me so we left and she was so nervous like oh my gosh I was like the worst meeting ever because there's some that you're like that's the country club meeting that's the homeless meeting I mean there's definitely different cultures of AA Um, but she was like well that was the old man meeting with the oxygen going all the time Um, and she was just so like you know wanting me to experience what she had experienced and so we went and we sat on the curb and I was like that was amazing because everything they said the man on oxygen who was barely alive I could relate with like We had nothing else in common. Age, they were men, but I could relate with the bondage I felt. And I wanted the freedom they had. Um, So anyway, she was so relieved. She's like, whew, that was like the worst meeting ever. Um, But I proceeded to go um, to AA, meet other women who I'm like, oh, they're so normal. You know, you just think of people under bridges with brown bags and um just women god just put women in front of me that i could relate to that i see still on the streets of homewood you know that i'm like no one knows it's like a secret club um and um just women who spoke such truth to me um my best friend's sponsor she was a little rough but she was like i mean do you think you just slid in here on a rainbow suzanne and i was like kinda i mean i was like i just feel like i shouldn't have to be an aa it was very very humbling for me to walk through the doors I remember crying and so she told me well you know that's fine if you're whatever but she goes you should um do 90 meetings in 90 days if you're not going to go to rehab and I was like I don't think I'll get the shakes or anything and she was like well you've got to retrain your brain you know like you will go back if you don't go to 90 meetings in 90 days so um I was like, I don't have time for that. I have small children, you know, whatever. And um, I decided, do do I ever want to go back there? And I did not. And so I decided to go to 90 meetings in 90 days, and it changed. It ended up changing my life. Um, I might have missed one or two, but I really was like, God, I am um, the three A's. That was my action step. Like, I will do anything. It was complete surrender at that time of um, – 
you know, I just want to be obedient to you, even if it means going to these rooms and basements and people. I mean, it's just like the movies. My name's Suzanne. I'm an alcoholic. I'm, yeah, I'm an alcoholic. Anyways, and telling your story. But that was the first place that I realized the impact of stories and how people's experience, strength, and hope can change um, lives. And I thought, gosh, the church needs this. Like, I love that y'all are doing this because I feel like vulnerability opens so many doors, um, that, you know, other things can't open. Um, the loud doors that the mentor I said, I would talk to often always said, you know, um, churches should be hospitals, um, for sinners and said they're showcases for saints, something to that effect. And um, I thought that's so true. I mean, you they're around the word addiction in, you know, church. And I do feel like it's definitely has come a long way, just even since I got into recovery of people sharing their stories and talking about their struggles more. But um, anyways, I, alcoholism changed my life for the better. I think I met um, the Lord in AA. I was a believer. I think I would have gone to heaven had I died. Um, I longed to, for him. I longed to be obedient. Um, but it just did not come naturally to me at all. Um, and so I think when I got into AA, no one was telling me rules. No one was telling me, um, you know, how to be or this is this is what you do. It was they were just telling their stories, and this is what worked for me. It may not work for you, and there was such freedom in that, which was always good for me to have a little freedom. Um, so that's really where I, I feel like the Holy Spirit. Like I started hearing God, and I was like, "This is amazing that He can remove something that has been such a stronghold in my life." Because I really, um, and I think when you go to those meetings, that's what you hear. It's miracles, you know, of God redeeming people who were so sick. And while my bottom wasn't jail or my bottom wasn't losing my kids, it could have been, you know. And so when I hear, like, the homeless-looking man saying, I would drive to the store crying because I did not want to drink anymore. I was like, I can identify with him, you know. And, like, Jaffe is the meeting downtown, and it really is. I mean, it gives me tears because it is what the church should look like. It is men in three-piece suits who make six figures or more and homeless people holding hands and saying the Lord's Prayer. Um, it is the most moving place to be. Um, so I'm very grateful that the Lord took me down that journey. Um, 90 days ended, and um, my husband, I looked at him. The Lord just... I just felt like things were not okay with um, him. And so I looked at him and I asked him a question and he said yes. And it started a um, series of confessions of an addiction, his sexual addiction that I did not know um, the depth of because I was the one who was always, he was like the hero, you know, typical codependent, <laughs> my drunk wife. We're going home. You know, he looked like the good guy, and his sin, his sin and addiction was very secret. Um, so 90 days sober, I'm like, okay, God, really? Like, you're going to walk me through this sober? Like, why didn't you let me know all this drinking? And I think because I would have died. <laughs> but I really thought if I could just numb out, you know, like that's what I want to do. This is horrible 
horrible. And um, it felt like like the the Red Sea, Exodus 14, 14. One day I was sitting in my kitchen and I was like, it was November and it, day like this, except there were no leaves on the tree. And I thought, I mean, <laughs> what am I going to do? You know, I can't drink. I don't want divorce. Um, and you're going to make me walk through this sober. This is so painful. And um, he the verse came to mind. I don't really even know how. If Maybe I had my Bible open, but it was Exodus 14, 14. Be still, and I will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. He just wants you to be still. And I sat on my back porch, and I saw two cardinals. And, um, I mean, against dirty south side, the tree, no, you know, it was just like two red birds. And Jesus was like, I died for your sin, and I died for his. And then... I went back to the Dorsets, and they, I called them at 6 a.m. I was like, I'm not okay. <laughs> Things are not okay. How am I not going to drink? I mean, they're like 80, you know. They're like, oh, you're not okay. And um, so anyways, they, they've both been divorced, and, that you know, Mary um, Dorset just said, what, God, what Satan meant for evil, God meant for good. You can divorce him, and you'll marry somebody else just like him, you know. Stick with the one you got. So she, um, I had a team of women, I feel like, that really just poured truth into me. Women who, I don't even know their names. I remember laying on my son's bed, and she was like, the greatest gift that your marriage can have is you both being in recovery, Suzanne. She said, you know, me and my husband ended up divorcing, but now he's in recovery, and it's like its own little language, and it was so true. So anyways, we did a lot of healing stuff. Um, he, he was already on the process of talking to people before he ever told me anything. But, um, anyways, the Lord, even in that, I think solidified, you can stay sober. Like you don't have to drink anymore. Um, to, you can walk through the pain and it was painful. Um, newly sober, you know, thinking I'm just struggling normal day life, not drinking now this. Um, but I do feel like the timing and all of it was just so perfect. I don't think I could have had it any sooner. And I think I would have been really ticked if it had been, you know, later. So it was just God's perfect timing. And, um, Anyways, we did a lot of hard work, a lot of therapy, and we had a lot of um, great people around us telling us truth and preaching redemption and restoration and um, God's goodness, even amongst such dark sin. I wanted to take a brief moment to introduce you to our first podcast sponsor, Holland & Birch. Holland & Birch is a Southern boho jewelry maker that's based their business on stories. As a matter of fact, you are listening to the story of Suzanne Jones right now. Suzanne is their owner and founder. Go visit hollandandbirch.com and see why their motto is purchased with a purpose. Grab some jewelry for yourself or a loved one while giving back through their fundraisers tab. And also check out their one-of-a-kind earrings, cuffs, bracelets, and necklaces at hollandandbirch.com for the perfect holiday gift. Follow the link in our show notes on our website or visit Holland and Birch and it's H-O-L-L-A-N-D-A-N-D-B-I-R-C-H.com. And now we'll return to Suzanne and her story. So I, I did have one night where I was like, this is too much, Lord, I have got to drink. I mean, because I would take it like hour by, the first few 90 days, you take it like hour by hour, literally. Like, okay, if I get to nine o'clock and I still feel this way, I'm going to drink. 
and then by nine o'clock it would always lift. I mean, it might be eight fifty nine, but it would lift, and you'd be like, "Thank you, Lord," because um, they teach you to live in a twenty four hour time. You know, just for today, you don't have to drink. So really, that's how I got sober. Like today, I don't have to drink. Tomorrow, I might, but today, I don't have to drink. And it's really how you, we all should live. Like today, this is all I can deal with because you have no clue what tomorrow holds. So I think I had made it to not to maybe I guess it was like seven, and I was like, this is too much. So I looked at my little girl and I said, Mary Holland, I'm going to need you to get out, go find your shoes. And it was dark in my house, and CJ, my husband, was gone, and um. Anyway, she looked and looked for those shoes, and she said, Mom, I can't find them. And I remember, like, sliding against the wall and crying and thinking, oh, my gosh, I almost drank, you know. And I'm like, oh, it's okay, baby. I'm glad you don't, I couldn't, you couldn't find your shoes, you know. And um, so, anyways, I put the children to bed. I mean, it was so early. I don't know how they went to bed, and I went to sleep. And I woke up completely drenched after I had almost gone to drink, um, completely drenched I dreamt that like there were demons throwing me over the cliff but holding on to me like it was such a vivid dream that made me physically just sweat so I called the Dorsets what do you do (laughs) the Dorsets are amazing so I called them at like you know nine o'clock at night and I'm like this just happened you know and they're like um Mary said Suzanne I really don't think you'll ever be tempted to drink again. Like, I think that was such a um, clear picture of, like, Satan still wanting to hold on to you. And the fact that you have fought this, and I have never, ever wanted to drink again since that time. And, I mean, I know other people who have. And to me, that's what is hard for me to reconcile sometimes. So many of my friends put such hard work into their recovery and then they relapse, and I just have, God has really, I mean, we have, we had alcohol in our fridge all the time. I just, I think it was so bad, I never wanted to go back again. Um, so that's kind of my story with alcoholism. So when I got, after I got sober, um, we did a lot of hard work, and I started an all-women's boot camp with my friend Allison, and that's where I met Dawn, Um and we um, coached women in the park. It was called Homewood Fit. And um, the Lord kind of gave me back the years the locusts had eaten. I don't think I ever experienced joy until I was 32, like pure joy. I think I love to have fun. And I was always seeking it. Like someone explains it as the broken cistern, you know. I mean, I think you can identify it with anything, not just alcohol, but things that you just, like for me now, is trips. Like, well, if I go on this trip, then I will feel so filled up. And then I come back. I'm like on the trip looking for other destinations where I can go next, you know. It's just like that broken cistern of water that just keeps seeping out. It's just never enough. Um but anyway, so, I, but I do feel like the Lord gave me joy. He restored the years the locusts had eaten. Um, our our children learned recovery terms. I mean, Mary Holland's like, well, I can be a counselor. I don't even need to go to school. She's 14. She's like, I counsel all the boys and then some girls. And anyway, she, they know all the terms. And um, 
so I, we, we, I did the boot camp thing with my friend Allison. We opened a Ross Bridge Fit, and it was going well. And um, I was more of the marketing person. Allison loved to coach. That's, like, such her gift. And um, after a few years of doing that and waking up at 5.15, I'm like, God, this is really funny. I'm a like, alcoholic who could barely get out of bed, and now I'm, like, up with the crack of dawn every day. But we met so many women through that, had so many relationships. Um, and anyways, I had made a necklace for Mary Holland in that time frame and um, I think I made a necklace for Daisy Troops, Girls on the Run just little things here and there and I put it in a consignment shop short and sweet by the ice cream shop in Homewood and it really was ice cream money. I mean I would go pick up my little consignment check and be like okay let's go get ice cream and um, anyways it came to a point where I was like I cannot keep waking up at 5.15 every day to coach these women, I'm exhausted. So um, I got out of Penwood Fit. Allison continued it. And um, I think my turning point for realizing the, um, like, I, I want to do more than just sub at All Saints. And I was wiping a baby's bottom. And I'm like, I have kids at home. Like, why am I doing this, you know? And um But we needed, like, you know, just that extra money for different things. And I thought, I'm just going to make as many earrings as I can and see what happens. And that was the last day I subbed. And um, I had been in real estate 11 years, and we really didn't think we lived off my income, but we totally did. So that was kind of like catching up with us. Like, okay, we got to, I got, when I got sober, I was like, I for sure cannot do real estate and not drink because that's crazy. Um, <laughs> so I got out of that. Um, and I love real, I mean, I love it. People are like, do you think you'll go back? I'm like, no, no, no. I mean, I love it, but I would, I could never go back and stay sober, I don't think. Um, it's just so intense. Um, so, anyways, I've made so I made tons of earrings, and um, the Lord just kind of. I mean, my husband's like, "What's up, Mr. T?" I mean, he's like, "I don't understand. <laughs> Women are paying sixty eight dollars for that in our mailbox." Like, he just was like, "What?" Is, he still is like, "What's happening?" Um, so, anyways, the Lord kind of brought me into Holland and Birch. You know, I remember where I was standing at a Bible study, and I had, um, I think Shelly was in the Bible study with me, um, and I had made earrings that I had found, and they just were, like, junky looking, so I just redid them, and everyone loved them, and um, our friend Mary Michael goes, well, what's the name of your line? And I was like, oh, it's not a line. I just redid some earrings, you know, but I remember thinking, huh, you know, what if... I did have a line, but then I was like, I could never, ever do that. Um, but anyway, so Lord has slowly grown my business, um, into, I have a storefront now and it really is, I mean, hilarious. I mean, don't you think mom (laughs) that I make jewelry and have a storefront? I mean, if you could say I would do anything, it would not be that. So the Lord works. Do what? I didn't even like to wear jewelry. (laughs) I couldn't even handle it. Yeah, I hated bows. I was the biggest tomboy. Like, we have pictures all dressed in Laura Ashley, and I look like I'm dying. Because I'm like, I need a cheetah print jumpsuit, please. And my family's like, pearls and Laura Ashley and bows all day long. Um, So they really were like, who is this person who's coming to our lives? Um, 
So, no, my grandmother was an an insanely creative person, um, and she loved jewelry. So I'm like, that's really the only thing that I can get. I don't know why I have... You love making. I love making it, absolutely. Um, I love creating something out of nothing. If I had tons of money, I'd flip houses, because that's really my true passion. But this is like a way for me to take the old and make it new and pretty and sell it and... Um, so anyways, the Lord, um, has done amazing things. I will say, um, the spiritual awakenings, like the first three steps in any type of recovery, if you have an alcoholic loved one, if you have, um, I went to Al-Anon when I found out about my husband and that was life changing for me, um, to learn roles. I don't think any of us are really taught like healthy boundaries and roles growing up because we just aren't, Um, and it really helped me figure out what was mine and what was his to own, Um, and just really live day to day again. I mean, it it is all, I think the 12 steps, I think it's founded off the book of James, um, and it really is such a simple, easy um, way to live. The first three steps are we admitted we were powerless over blank, that our lives had become unmanageable. Um, And I think we all could relate to that. The second is came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And I think when I was in AA, I was going through all this like, yeah, I've been taught that all my life. I believe it. But like it really, um, and I think J.D. Greer in the book Gospel I think he talks about either it was him or somebody. I'm horrible with details, but um, they are talking about being a preacher for like 27 years, and they've like they they are saying I've explained the honey, I have talked about its consistency, I have talked about the color of it, um, but until I tasted it, you know, was when the Lord really changed me. And I credit my parents. I mean, they trained me up, and my foundation was solid. Um, as far as like knowing the Lord, um, knowing about him, theology, like knowing all that. And I think the real relationship with the Lord and my life changing did come through um, hard circumstances. But I'm so grateful to have walked through that because I've tasted the honey, Um, where before I could just tell you about it and I could tell you what you should do and I could lead a Bible study. But I think when you truly taste it and you see the Lord take you out of bondage, and I think addiction's such a big word, but it can be anything, really. I mean, my sister was like, oh, well, when I feel out of control, I just don't eat. I'm like, well, that's so amazing. I wish I had that problem, (laughs) you know? Um, But for her, that's bondage, you know? Like, that is such a gripping bondage, and... um, I think I shared this with Sarah Beth. Like, when I first got into counseling as an adult, um, this kind of on a different note, um, my counselor was like, well, Suzanne, it's been like, you're like a lion that's been in a cage. And, of course, it's only going to make you wilder. Um, Just the whole culture I grew up in was very much black and white and boxes. And um, it just did not, I, I just felt so rebellious. I mean, and that's my my own sin. Um but I felt so rebellious in that. And um, I think the the church as a whole has more freedom now um, for people to be a little different and more gray as far as, um, you know, I think that another thing I learned getting sober was an act of worship. Like 
um, you know, for my best friend to say yes to something's real easy for her. For her to say no, something's hard. Like, so her act of worship would be like saying no. For me, my act of worship would be saying yes, because I'm still that rebel at heart. Like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do what you ask me. Um, but anyways, just some stuff I've learned through getting sober. And um, yeah, all the Lord's done. We do fundraisers now um, at my shop and um, online store. And just the Lord, it's amazing the women the Lord brings in my shop um, that can just say, hey, don't tell anyone. And we're like, hey, if these walls could talk. Um it's just neat to see how the Lord, I mean, again, if you could have said, this is going to be what you do, I would have been like, mm, probably not. Um, but just the stories that come in and the women who are hurting or their friends are hurting or um, it's just really such a neat thing that God just opens up natural conversation, I feel like. Um, and people, I mean, I was, people are like, are you nervous about sharing your story? I'm like, no, because I kind of do it all every day. <laughs> in some way or another. And I remember one girl sitting behind my counter and this girl came in and was talking about, you know, she drove up in her fancy car and was talking about a rehab she went to and she left. She's like, I love your job. And I'm like, yeah, there's tons of people who come in like that. Like just so honest, I think, you know, women crave just that honest, authentic, real relationship that's like, yeah, I'm struggling, you know? Um, so anyways, I kind of ADD zip line down different paths but um Thanks for joining us today. It was so interesting to hear that a meeting of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, was the first time Suzanne witnessed the impact of stories. You know, we really underestimate the power our stories have to give hope to others, especially to someone who feels like victory is impossible and unreachable. If you're fighting today, fighting for your marriage or battling addiction, or simply struggling to face the realities of just living in this fallen world. Let today's story remind you that there is still hope. There will always be hope because no situation is ever beyond our Savior's power to restore. Friends, we'll be back next Wednesday with another new story, and we would love for you to rate and review us and subscribe to whatever platform you use. Also, be sure to follow Storytellers Live on social media so you'll get the latest news and announcements. Thank you for choosing to listen to Storytellers Live today, and we hope that you'll join us again soon.